0: You know, I don't need a math degree to let you know that that's not very much. Worst case scenario, for us right now, we have an athletic of point guard. We either have a miracle big sky run in the tournament in Boise in March this year, or we're good next year. That's really not that much time. And the way we're going to have to do that is at BC. Welcome to Tubbs of the Club, the official, unofficial podcast of your University of Idaho Vandals. I'm your host, Brian. You can find Tubbs of the Club on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TubsTheClub.com. On today's episode, we're going to go over the Big Sky landscape, Idaho's home loss, the University of Montana last Saturday, and we're going to preview this week's games at Sacramento State and Portland State, and I mean this in the most sincere way possible. Those are both winnable games for us, which is great news if you've been following, t- following the team throughout the year. But before we get to any news on the court, this past weekend, the University of Idaho men's basketball team received what is probably their best news, and it came off the court. According to the Spokesman Review, Jack Wilson, he's a center, he used to be on the Oregon State Beavers. He's a former four-star recruit from California who had offers from University of Nevada and University of Cal. He has officially withdrawn from Oregon State, and now, according to the Oregonian, Jack Wilson, that former four-star recruit, has enrolled at the University of Idaho, and he will be eligible to play next season at the beginning of the second semester. Now, this is huge news for Idaho, potentially. The caveats that we need to keep in mind are, there's a reason Jack Wilson transferred from Oregon State. Now, you can probably guess that if he's a freshman Oregon State, he's a former four-star recruit, and he chooses to transfer down to a school like Idaho, he's probably not playing very much. 100% correct. Now, why was Jack Wilson not playing very much? Well, he didn't play his entire senior year of high school because of a back injury, and according to the reports I read from the Oregonian and a couple other news websites out of Oregon, it appears that the back injury is still slowing him a little bit, and he was falling down the center or post depth chart at Oregon State, and that's why he left the program. Or at least that's part of why he left the program. I, of course, have not interviewed Jack Wilson or his family. But based off the information we have, Jack Wilson was not getting a ton of playing time in Oregon State, and he has taken his talents to Moscow, Idaho. Now, I think this is huge news for Idaho. I think Vandal fans should be ecstatic about this news because there is precedent for drop-down players having a huge impact on a program. I can't say yet that Jack Wilson is that type of guy who's going to have a huge impact, but I can say... With no reservation, you know, the way we've seen drop-down players play throughout the Big Sky when they come from Power 5 schools into the Big Sky is their floor tends to be a solid contributor. Uh, Kendall Manuel, he's a guy, he's a drop-down from Oregon State. He's on the University of Montana. He's their sixth man. Now, I mean, he's obviously not taking the program over, but if a team can get a solid sixth man in a transfer, that's great news. Xavier Smith, we have him. He's a drop-down from Oregon State as well. He's been our backup point guard. He's a guy who I think, as a sophomore, has a pretty high ceiling. Worst-case scenario for us right now, we have an athletic backup point guard. Now, Jack Wilson is a higher-caliber recruit than either of those guys. I think he has a chance to be Idaho's version of Martin Broinig. Martin Broinig, he was a post for the University of Montana, Before he played for the University of Montana, he was a post for the University of Washington in 2013-2014. During that season, Martin Breunig, after not really playing at all for Lorenzo Romar, transferred over to Montana, and he immediately made first team all league for both his years. As a junior, Montana tied for first place in the league. That was back when the winner of the uh, regular season conference championship hosted the conference tournament and Montana won the tiebreaker with Eastern Washington that year. They didn't end up making the NCAA tournament. They lost in the conference finals to Eastern Washington, but long story short, Martin Boynig was the really the catalyst for Montana reascending after losing Wayne Tinkle to the coach to Oregon state. Um, Jack Wilson has a chance to possibly be that guy for us. Now we have to see him on the court and we have to see that he is healthy or healthy enough to regularly contribute. Um, it's not news that when college athletes get hurt, they only have a few years where they can play. And sometimes big injuries can take a couple of years. We saw in our own program when Perion Calendray hurt his knee during his First senior season, he was granted a second senior season as a medical redshirt. He had a solid year, but he wasn't exactly the same guy he'd been as a junior. Now, I don't know the scope of Jack Wilson's injury. Most people in Moscow or most people who follow Idaho aren't going to be able to really go into any great detail about what he's going to look like physically. But the news that we do have out of Oregon and out of Spokes in Review is it's just an injury. The guy had returned to the floor, played a little bit this year, uh, which means he's getting better if you compare that to not playing his entire senior season. So huge news for the University of Idaho. Possibly if the guy is the quality of talent that we would hope a four-star recruit would be, Jack Wilson could be a huge get for us. And what it looks like on paper is worst-case scenario, We have a solid contributor for the next three seasons. He'll be eligible next year because he has already began the transfer process. He has to sit out for two semesters, so he isn't playing for Idaho this semester. He won't be able to play for Idaho the first semester of the 2019-2020 season, but that would put him as being eligible to play at the beginning of conference season where he might miss a couple of games in conference. Moving to the overall big Sky picture. Now moving over to the overall big Sky landscape. after losing 51 to 69 to Montana at home, Idaho drops to one and five in big Sky play 4 and 13 overall. We are joined at the bottom of the conference by Portland State and Sacramento State. Both those teams are one and five as well. Northern Arizona and Idaho State sit above us. they're both three and four Eastern Washington is just about dead center of the conference at three and three. Montana State and Southern Utah are both four and three. Montana is in third place in conference at five and two, a half game behind Northern Colorado who's six and two. Weaver State sits atop the conference at six and one. However, just to give you a, a recap of how the top three teams have played against each other because they have almost all played each other. Weaver State and Montana both handily beat Northern Colorado. That accounts for both of Northern Colorado's losses. The good news for Northern Colorado fans is they have no bad losses. The bad news for them is against the both of the top teams they can play, they were beat pretty handily. So to me, even though Northern Colorado 6-2 and two, is in second place in conference, I think it's pretty clear. Northern Colorado is the third best team in conference. It's unclear who the top team is between Montana and Weaver State. Those two teams will play this Saturday, January twenty sixth in Missoula, and though I expect listeners of this podcast to be paying attention to the Idaho game on the twenty sixth against Portland State, the matchup of Weber State and Montana could have ramifications. Moving into when we think about Big Sky tournament play, and also in trying to handicap which team should we expect to qualify for the NCAA tournament from the Big Sky Conference. Weaver State and Montana, to me, are the two teams that no question have the best chance to win an NCAA tournament game. Uh, My hot take is I think Montana has the best shot to win an NCAA tournament game because they can play defense in a way that matches up all right with Power 5 teams. Weaver State, it's unclear whether they have that kind of defense, so Weaver State can shoot a bit better than Montana. But again, just me, I think Montana is the conference's best shot at winning an NCAA tournament game this year. Shifting over to the one game Idaho had between our last recording and this recording, Idaho played University of Montana at home in Moscow in front of 1,419 fans at Cowan Spectrum. Side note, 1,419, nowhere near the number we, of course, hoped for. Heading into the game, our home average was a little over 800. So, uh, you know, glass half full, we almost doubled our average, glass half empty. 1,400 is not that many for a game that we would love to be a rivalry game. Or if you guys remember football season, the game against Montana is a rivalry game. When we lost the University of Montana at home during football season, the Dome was packed with around in between 14,000, 15,000, not quite a sellout, pretty much 90% attendance. Basketball, you know, our team is 4-13 and 13 now, 1-5 in conference. I don't expect to have a... a a sold out Cowan Spectrum when we have a record like that because, you know, to have a sold out game, we really do need fair weather fans to show up and no fair weather fan is going to show up to see a 4 and 13 team. But again, one of the things us fans would love is for Idaho to have a stronger basketball team, have stronger support. And, and this is just where we're at. But circling back to the game, Idaho lost 51 to 69. Um, and the game had a pretty odd flow. Montana felt like they were in complete control for almost the whole game, but Idaho did keep it relatively close. You know, In the first half, Montana blew, blew their lead up to about 12 points, um, but Idaho cut the lead down to three minutes off a of Trayvon Allen jump shot with nine minutes left in the game, and it looked like we might make a run for this, uh, but then Montana finally pushed it into fifth gear, And for for the last nine minutes of the game, Montana outscored us 20-5, to which is how, even though it felt close with nine minutes to go, because it was close, we were down three. um, That's how we lose in blowout fashion, losing by 18. Now, we did not get Montana's best offensive shot. The Grizzlies shot 42.2% from the field, 33% from three. Um, But Montana certainly didn't get our best shot either. We shot 35.8% from the field, 33% from three. Both teams hit exactly seven of 21 from three. Um, in terms of did Montana shoot poorly or did Idaho's defense force them to shoot poorly? I'm mostly going to err on Montana just shot poorly uh, because again, we had another game with a defensive rating over 100, which is just our team. Our team is not strong defensively. I talked about that ad nauseum last podcast. We'll probably get into a little bit more later. Um, question of did Montana make Idaho shoot poorly or did Idaho just miss shots? It's a little bit of both. You know, Trayvon Allen had quite a game. Uh, He scored 24 points on 10 of 18 shooting, 4 of 7 from 3, pulled down 6 rebounds as well. Um, He was really the only bright spot for Idaho offensively. Uh, We had one other player in double figures. That was Jared Rodriguez. He scored 10, uh, but no one else scored Double figures, Cam Tyson scored eight real quick points in the first probably 10 minutes of the game or so, then really didn't do anything for the rest of the game, didn't score any more points, finished with eight total. No other player scored more than three points in the game. So circling back to the question, was Idaho just shooting poorly or did Montana force Idaho to shoot poorly? It really depends on the player. Trayvon Allen was able to get essentially where he wanted to off the dribble. With his mid-range game, you know, he, he does not get to the rim. That's part of how he plays. But in terms of mid-range shooting, he shot quite well from the field. He was able to get the shots that he probably wanted to get. Um, so did Montana force Trayvon into a bad game? Absolutely not. Trayvon looked great. He looked like a potential all-league guard against Montana. Did Montana force Cam Tyson into a bad game? Yeah. Uh, Montana has three of the best wing defenders in the league. And for a guy like Trayvon Allen, um, you know, Trayvon can create his own shot. He is a strong dribbler. Being creative with the ball is one of his strengths. He has the ability to get the shots he wants. Uh, Cam Tyson is not there yet. Cam Tyson needs help getting open shots. And he was more or less shut down by Ahmad Rory. And Montana did put their leading scorer on Cam Tyson, and it didn't look like a problem, especially in the second half. When Cam Tyson got shots, for the most part, it was – Cam trying to create for himself, and that is not a relative strength of his, and he didn't create good shots. He he couldn't get separation against a guy like Rory. By the way, Rory's a great athlete. He's a drop-down from the University of Oregon and different from many drop-downs in the big sky. Ahmad Rory played at Oregon. He played off the bench as a point guard as a freshman, Uh, but he wasn't a guy like Xavier Smith for us who transferred partially because he wasn't playing, or he's not a guy like I referenced earlier in the podcast, Martin Breunig. Uh, Martin Breunig transferred to Montana from University of Washington in 2013-14, in part because he wasn't playing at all at University of Washington, then he exploded in the big sky. That wasn't the case for Ahmad Rory. He played at University of Oregon. He was a good enough player. He's a four-star recruit. He was good enough to play off the bench as a freshman. Um, An athlete like that, and by the way, Montana just has some very strong athletes who are good basketball players. Different from Idaho in that some of our best athletes are raw or are still developing. For example, Xavier Smith is a very strong athlete, especially running north-south. Sam is Sam, he's a wing slash forward for us. He's a very strong athlete, but he's offensively raw. He's limited to catch and shoot wide open shots and putbacks, and that's about the extent of his offense right now, uh, which isn't a put down. That's just where he is developmentally. He's gonna get better, he's a freshman. He would have been redshirting if not for Markel Frazier's injury. He was redshirting so he could develop, but that, that's just where he, he is right now. And I want to contrast that with Montana. First off, Montana is, over, uh, is upperclassman heavy. Um, Ahmad Vori, Michael Ogine, and Jamara Coe are all seniors. They're all, they are all all-Big Sky caliber. Saeed Pridget is their fourth top starter, and he's a junior. He's all-Big Sky caliber talent. Their fifth starter, Bobby Moorhead, one of the best defenders in the league, He's a senior as well. Their first guard off the bench, Kendall Manwell, he's a drop down from Oregon State. He's a junior upperclassman as well. Um, Donovan Dorsey dropped down from the University of Washington. He's a senior. You're getting a little bit of the pattern here, which is I'm not trying to just use the excuse of youth for why we lost. We lost because Montana's better. But there is a difference between strong athletes who've had four to five years to develop versus strong to solid athletes who are in year one of development, and Idaho's in year one of development, we will have to be creative uh, for us to do well against a team like Montana or when we did well against Weber State the second or maybe tied for best team in the league. Well, part of why we did well is in the second half, we shot 65% from the field and we shot 70% from three in one half. We really just jump shot our way back into the game. No team in the nation can rely on shooting 65% from the field or shooting 70% from three to compete against better teams. We'll get into the specific details of what Idaho could do and what we might see Idaho do in the future. But, you know, again, circling back to the game, Montana did not have their best game, uh, but they were their steady selves. They were led by senior guard Ahmad Rory. He's their point guard. He scored 20 points on 14 shots. And even though Trayvon Allen had a pretty exciting game, you know, Trayvon Allen scored. There's a run the second half where he scored 12 points in a row uh, for Idaho. Look, he, Trayvon Allen looked like he was having maybe his best performance as a Vandal. Well, Ahmad Rory essentially matched him point for point. He scored four less points, but he also took four fewer shots. Right there, our ace in the game, Allen, was essentially wiped off the table. Not saying that Ahmad Rory outplayed him, but their production nullified each other. Well, there were other Grizzlies who played well. Michael Ogine is another senior. He's a guard. He scored 13 points on nine shots, which, by the way, is pretty much average for him. He's a, he is averaging 13 points on the year on a little over eight shots per game. That's incredibly efficient. Idaho doesn't yet have um, a guy who can contribute like that. And by the way, Michael Ogine can create his own shots. He put a lot of his points for off of putbacks and drives. In addition to his 13 points on nine shots, he picked up nine rebounds as a guard. That's a big deal to have, and he can do that because he's a good athlete. Montana center, Jamara Ako. I was concerned he was going to give us trouble because he's given half the league trouble. Um, he only scored 11 points against us, but again, we just went over. They had a guy who scored 20, they had a guy who scored 13. Well, Ako added 11 points, and he chipped in nine rebounds. And their fourth scorer, or third scorer, depending on if you're talking about shot attempts or points per game, Saeed Pridget, he's a junior, he's a wing, he's another strong athlete. He can score from essentially anywhere. Um, He's not a sharp shooter like Cam Tyson, who you're concerned that he's going to hit five threes in a game, but he's a guy who can score from three and he can score in the post. He put up 10 points and added eight rebounds. Um, In addition to the individual performances, you know, we saw some of the same troubles we've been observing since the start of the year. Montana scored 15 points off 10 Idaho turnovers, and Idaho scored six points off six Montana turnovers. There's a nine-point gap right there where Montana likely scored 15 pretty easy points or nine more pretty easy points than we did. Montana also outscored us 38-18 to in the paint, and this is maybe the most concerning area for me, and I think it's worth explaining for, um, let's just say, casual basketball fans or people who weren't able to go to the game. Points in the paint people almost always associate as posts outscoring other posts or... People often associate it as because the other team's bigger, they got points in the paint. That is not always the case. Against Montana, a ton of their points in the paint came off guard penetration, wings cutting, or guards and wings rebounding and scoring. Jamarico, their center, he had a max of eight points in the paint. He had 11 points on the game. He made one free throw, and he made one about 16-foot shot. So he had three of his points, obviously, outside the, point, the paint, maybe Eight came in the paint. Well, they still had, even if he had eight points in the paint, they still had 30 more points in the paint. It's not like they had this second power forward who scored 25 that I haven't told you about. The rest of their points came from guard-slash-wing-oriented players, and guard-slash-wing-oriented players score in the paint either from dribble penetration, which Montana got when they wanted, or from putbacks. For example, Mike Logine had at least one putback dunk um Now, part of that you could say is poor box out. Part of that you might be able to say, well, if Idaho's a little bigger, maybe that doesn't happen. It's not all, but it's not all just one simple thing in terms of how do teams accrue points in the paint, and it's not all about post-stopping points in the paint. Montana has athletes. They have seasoned upperclassmen athletes, and their seasoned upperclassmen athletes took it to us. Now, in terms of the rest of Idaho, um, you know I went over that we had 24 points out of allen, eight points out of cam, eight quick points. Um, Jared Rodriguez added 10 points and nine rebounds on only six shots. wish he would have got six he wish he would have got more than six shots but part of that is he wasn't able to create his own shot. He's okay at creating his own shot and he's another young guy on our team who needs help in that regard. Um, Xavier Smith off the bench, he played 16 minutes. he got all the way to the rim at least three times. But he only finished once, and that is a problem, two parts. Uh one, it's really tough if we shoot if a player shoots one of three on layups to be excited about the penetration. Now he is Xavier Smith is by far our best guard at getting to the rim. And he showed that again against Montana. But a problem with penetrating and getting to the rim and not finishing is contrary to popular belief that missed three point attempts are what lead to transition baskets. It's actually missed layups that are most likely to lead to transition baskets, and the rationale for that is quite simple. On missed threes, the the rebound usually does take place a little bit further away from the basket, but that also means the corralling of the rebound itself is a little more chaotic because there's more moving parts. There are more players who can feasibly get to the rebound, whereas on a layup attempt, one... Because layups are usually soft misses, you know, people aren't hurtling the ball at the backboard from two feet away. Um, the ball is coming softly off the rim, meaning it's a little bit more predictable where it's going to be. Second, the defenders, both on the player who shoots the layup and on, let's say, the post near the basket, the defense, just by holding standard defensive position, will be in almost perfect position to get the rebound, which means it's it's tough to have offensive rebounds off of missed layups unless the other team has a couple players who try to come from the weak side to block a shot. Now that can lead to an easy putback for the offense, but if that doesn't happen, and that was not happening for Idaho, that is how a layup can potentially turn into a transition basket. And the last part is when when an offensive player shoots a layup, their momentum is taking them away from the basket. When an offensive player is, and when I say away from the basket, I mean under the basket, away from the field of play. When an offensive player shoots a layup, he is more likely to fall to the ground because of incidental contact or a missed foul call or just difficulty in landing because of how the player is jumping horizontally to try to move towards the hoop. They're way more likely to hit the deck than on, let's say, a catch-and-shoot three-pointer which means while that player's momentum is taking them away from the court or while that player's on the floor, the defense has a five-on-four advantage. And unless the offensive player books it, a lot of teams are aware of this advantage. And that is where you can see a layup turn into a transition basket, which is a real long way of saying Xavier Smith had some bright spots, but we really can't afford to miss layups, especially driving shots, because Xavier Smith's the only guy who gets those. For Idaho, um, in addition to the drives I just described at not na- at nauseum, um, Xavier Smith also had his pretty average performance. of He played about sixteen minutes, and he generated two assists. Now, two assists isn't a hugely spectacular number, but it's right on average with how he's been producing in conference play, where he plays you know around twelve ish minutes, and he generates around two assists every time. Um, pretty impressive in the small sample size. I would love to see him get some more minutes at point guard, but uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. He's getting more than he got during non-conference play and at the start of conference play. But um, it's clear that Verlin isn't 100% set in our lineups, and part of my evidence for that, other than the fact that Idaho has, according to the University of Montana broadcast, um, Idaho's had nine or ten different starting lineups this year. So Exhibit A, they've just had a 1,000 starting lineups. Um, but against Montana... Um, you know, Ray Kwanis Mitchell and Scott Blakeney combined for, they both started, uh, they combined for zero points, four, four rebounds, and five fouls. And it's going to be tough to beat a good team when we have really three guys on the floor who can score. And two of our starters who play sizable minutes contribute more in fouls than in points and rebounds combined. You know, there there's not a, a lot of other great bright spots to really work through um, in this game. Montana is the class of the conference, right up there with Weber State. And though we kept it close, which is great news, um, when Montana put it into fifth gear at the end of the game, those last nine minutes, they really put their foot on our throats. And they turned a close game into a blowout pretty dang fast. And that's the talent Montana has. That's, now, that's partially part of the, the benefit of having the mix of athletic talent and upperclassmen players who they've been through this before. You know, Montana made the NCAA tournament last year, lost to Michigan by 14 while shooting 32%, which is not to extol how great they are offensively. Um, that, that is obviously not the case, though they're one of the top three scoring teams in the conference if you watch the game it's not hard to tell, that if Montana gets behind, it could be tough for them to come back. That was why the recipe for Idaho needed to be jumping out to a quick lead and shooting. Well, we didn't do that. Um, But when you look at the combination Montana has of they have good athletes, they have good players, and they are seasoned, you know, if that's a strong team, they should beat Idaho, and that's exactly what happened. Now, in terms of what this tells us about our team in some sort of broader sense, it's clear we just have a, a real long way to go. Vandal fans are long-suffering in football. You know, everyone knows about how the football season went. We're longer-suffering in basketball where we haven't made the NCAA tournament since 1990, the 1989-1990 season. You know, since that, since the 1990-1991 season, Idaho has had a total of three 20-win seasons in 28 or 29 years. Um... You know i don't need a math degree to let you know that that's not very much and i i can tell you off the top of my head not doing the game-by-game game research because i already did this you know in the three years before verlin came to idaho i do want to combine 16 games in those three years they want to combine five conference games in those three years um vandal fans especially alums who've been there for the last you know 20 years or so they've seen a ton of bad basketball um, and you know, it's, it's possible for fans to get vandal PTSD of, okay, well, our team's awful. Well, we won 20 games last year. We won 20 games last year, and we lost six players to graduation, and we lost uh, Nate Sherwood this year to to the health issue. Um, there's no other way to go about it. We have a long way to go. Um, but there should be a sense of urgency for Idaho, one, in terms of building excitement and support for the team, um, for this year, just because it's more fun for fans when the game's an event, not an event that people happen to show up to because their friends and alums are there. Um, but when the game itself is something people plan around going, it's just more fun when sports are that way. That's how it is at Gonzaga, and we, it's not worth comparing Idaho to Gonzaga at this point. Uh, but I'd love Idaho to be like University of Montana, where they average, you know, Montana averages around four to 5,000 people a game. Uh, Weaver State averages over 6,000 people a game. Um, that'd be a sellout at cowen Uh, but if we could average three thousand people a game you know we'd be excited we're not going to do that until we start winning and winning consistently but there should be a sense of urgency for i I know there is for the players and the coaches no question because the players they only have four-year careers and the coaches you know if coaches don't produce they lose their jobs that's verlin didn't get the idaho job because the coach before him did well um verlin got it because coach was his contract's not renewed or he was fired that can happen to coaches I'm not speculating that, that that's happening with Idaho because it shouldn't. Verlin's just off his best career year. Um, but I'm more getting at, though it's easy to talk about our team being young, and I do talk about our team being young because it's important, we should still have a sense of urgency around how this team develops. You know, Trayvon Allen is he's averaging almost 20 points a game in conference. It's a little bit over 15 on the year because you got to remember, he started off painfully slow. Uh, But in conference, which I think we should care about the most, he's averaging over 20 points a game, well not over, he's averaging almost 20 points a game, and shooting over 50% from the field. Um, He's shooting well on his threes, well enough in conference, he's over 50% in conference. Now I don't expect that to continue heading into conference, he was shooting well below 30%, but he's shot well enough in conference now uh, through six games that his season percentage is up to 35, which is closer to his career percentage. If he shoes 35% from three, that's a big deal for us relative to what we saw early in the year. But Allen's a junior. If Idaho's going to be good while he's here, we either have a miracle big sky run in the tournament in Boise in March this year, or we're good next year. That's really not that much time. We have Jack Wilson coming in. Like we talked about earlier. Now we have no idea what to expect from him. We know there's physical talent. We know there's skill. Uh, but we also know as a back injury that it's not an accident. He ended up at Idaho and didn't transfer to Gonzaga as a four-star recruit, or you know, it's not an accident he, that he was a four-star recruit and ended up at Oregon State instead of, let's say, University of Washington, instead of UCLA, instead of USC, instead of Oklahoma, any of those places uh, that would be higher-profile programs in Oregon State, which hasn't put down Oregon State. Um, but Jack Wilson went there initially likely because of the back injury. Again, in case that family ever listens to this podcast, not that they will, I'm not trying to speculate on his actual story. I don't know the details of his recruiting. I'm more talking about the just kind of point-by-point basics of Oregon State is not made up of an army of four-star recruits. Um, Anyway, back to the basic point. We don't know exactly what we're going to get out of Jack Wilson, but we do know that if we're going to see... Trayvon Allen and his career on a good team, that good team needs to show up pretty quick. And I am, I already went over this point in the last podcast, but I think this game against Montana was just exhibit A of why Trayvon Allen needs to be a two guard if we're going to be good. You know, the route for Idaho to be strong, based off the athletes, if you watch the Idaho and Montana game, you could see the athletes Montana had, and you could see how it is feasible that that team was strong on offense and good at off, sorry strong on offense and good at defense? They had athletes and they were skilled. Idaho doesn't appear to have the same let's say run and jump raw athletes that Montana had, and that's part of what can translate to strong defense. Um, which isn't to say defense is something we should ignore. We have to get better defense to be okay. But our route to being a good team will be to have a top three or four offense in the league and to have a serviceable defense. And right now, uh, Trayvon Allen, man, I wish he was sh- a shooting guard for us. Um, you know, he's playing in terms of attacking, in terms of scoring the way he does, which is mid-range. He's playing at an elite level in conference. You know, he has a mid-range game similar to Ahmad Rory on Montana. And like I said, those two essentially played to a draw. Uh, but Allen, you know, we're six games in the conference. He's scoring, if you subtract the Idaho State game where he played because he was sick and he had one of his worst games of the season, but we can completely write that off because he hadn't practiced all week. Um, it was a big deal that he played in the first place. If we could omit that game, the kid is averaging well over 20 points a game. Um, this is a great individual conference season he's having right now. Uh, but just his game, you know, again, exhibit A against Montana, he looks like a two-guard to me. Um, and I say that, and I want to just go over for listeners what a mid-range game is. Um, Trayvon Allen has a mid-range-oriented game, which means he looks to get his shot for the most part. Now, he does shoot threes, of course. Uh, shot four or seven against Montana. I think that is, well, in Big Sky play, that's his best three-shooting game in terms of number threes made. It's one of his best three-shooting games of the season. Uh, but generally speaking, a lot of his offense comes Inside the three-point line, but before uh, you approach the restricted area where his shots would be, let's say, in stride, layups, or anything approaching, like a post-up shot. You know, Alan, Alan, most of his shots come between about 18 feet and, let's say, around 10 feet. Most of his shots look like traditional jump shots. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a mid-range game when it's executed well, and he's executing his mid-range game well. The reason that I reference his mid-range game being a great reason that I wish he was our two guard. Um, it kind of has to do with, one, the the mid-range game itself because players do not generate free throws because they're not getting all the way to the rim to get fouled. Um, and because mid-range drives are less likely to result in assists, and you can look at, and this is, this is not meant as a put-down. Trayvon Allen is playing great on the offensive end. Um, but in terms of assists, which is a, a point guard function, um, and by the way, he is our point guard for the most part right now, he's barely leading the team in assists in conference. Xavier Smith almost averages more assists per game than him, and he plays fewer than half the minutes. Now, that's not to say that Xavier Smith would be an All-Big Sky player if he was playing 28 minutes a game right now. He wouldn't be. Um Trayvon Allen is playing at an all-big sky level. I wish his only duty was really to to be a scorer, um, but you know, circling back to the mid-range game itself, part of why in larger basketball culture it's becoming less in vogue is because there's a narrow margin of, margin of error for a mid-range scorer to have a high efficiency game. Because you know, we already went over this. Trayvon Allen doesn't get to the free throw line. That's essentially by design. Um, you know, in big sky play. He's shot, in a, he's shot a total of 13 free throws. The only other, the only other good uh, ball handler or good scorer in the league who's shooting fewer free throws than Trayvon Allen um, really is Ahmad Rory. Ahmad Rory only has nine free throws. He has a mid-range game just like Trayvon Allen, but the Montana team composition is different than Idaho. But, you know, as a comparison point, and these are only point guards that I'm going to go over um, – Holland Woods point guard for Portland State. He's shot he has put up 42 free throws this year. Jarek Harding, he plays point guard some for Weaver State. Not all the time, but some. He he's put up forty free throws this year. They have another guy, Cody John, who plays some point guard. He's put up nineteen free throws. Now, it's not fair to combine two players production because of those extra minutes and compare to Allen, but both their guys um, have shot a large number of more free throws than Allen. Jordan Davis, leading scorer in the conference, he's point guard for northern Colorado. He's put up 57 free throws so far. Harold at Montana State, 35 free throws. Marcus Graves at Sacramento State, 26 free throws. And even Michael Ogine, now he's a shooting guard, who only gets eight shots a game at Montana. He's put up 37 free throws. Um, Allen's put up 13, which isn't to say that's a deficiency of his game. That's the design of his game because he plays mid-range. But mid-range guys, their drives do not end in fouls and free throws. And because of where they're likely to shoot, it's just not average for mid-range guys to be great at getting others involved, uh, which is part of why I think for this Idaho team to be good, we're going to have to have some other guys emerge who can help create shots for others. Um, the job Trayvon should have, and if the one he's executing quite well right now, is I feel that he should be able. He should look to attack essentially all the time when he's on the floor. But we have other guys who are they have strong offensive specific skills but they don't have the ability to get shots for themselves. I'm going to go over our second leading scorer on the team. Uh, Cam Tyson's averaging about 13.5 on the season around uh, 15 to 16 in conference. But he's been playing, his offensive output has been incredibly up and down. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he doesn't have the ability to create shots for himself, so he relies on the others to create for him. He relies on plays to be run for him. Or he relies on just defensive lapses. And some of the up and down play we've seen from him, um, again, not a put down. It more has to do with the opportunities he has. You know, against Idaho State, he scored 19. Against Weaver State, he scored 27, got up 12 threes in that game, made six of them. Well, against Montana, he put up eight he, he had eight points total. He only got eight shots up. Part of it's because he's an elite shooter, but if he's gonna be an elite second piece for us, or if he's gonna be a high end second piece for us, the kind of guy who can help us be good somewhere between now and next year, he's going to need help. Um, now, there are some ways Idaho could be much more creative in trying to get a guy like Cam Tyson more open shots. Uh, specifically, we we did run a play against Montana, where which Montana blew up, uh, but that isn't exactly a great reason to not run a play like this. Idaho's had success in getting Cam Tyson shots when we give the ball to a high post player, very often Jaron Rodriguez. Jaron Rodriguez will have his back to the basket where he is standing at around the free throw line. Cam Tyson will come off screens. He'll be able to also use Jaron Rodriguez potentially as a screen or as confusion. Gets short pass from Rodriguez, gets top of key three. We've, we have seen that play multiple times to get Cam Tyson a shot. Now I'm not saying run the same play 8,000 times, but that is an example of Idaho has been creative at times in trying to get Cam Tyson looks. I feel that we could be both more aggressive and more creative at the same time to orient the offense towards getting a guy like him more shots. And I say that because we do have an ace up our sleeve, and Trayvon Allen does not need that much help in getting his shots created. A huge amount of his shots come off the dribble. It comes when he gets in towards the key and then pulls up. That is the upside of his mid-range game, is he doesn't need... Uh, as much help to get a shot up as a guy like cam tyson but if we're going to be good it can't just be the trayvon allen show because unless he's going to start hitting unless allen's going to start hitting like eight threes a game because he doesn't get the free throw line 24 is around the ceiling it's not a bad ceiling at all but if his ceiling's 24 a guy who scores 24 can't win a game on his own you know when idaho played eastern washington in the big sky commerce tournament back in 2014, 2015, they had a guy named Tyler Harvey who averaged a little under 24 per game on the year led the nation in scoring. He could win a game on his own because he had multiple games throughout that year where he hit eight threes and he could drive as well. He got to the free throw line. That is the kind of player who can win a game on their own. And part of that has to do with the overall skill set and the ability to score from everywhere, including the free throw line. That's not where Allen is, which that's not a problem. Ahmad Rory made first-team All-Big Sky last year based off of a mid-range game. He can't win games on his own either, but he's still a high-end player. Allen's the same way. But if we're going to be good, A, I think the route is we have to have a great offense. And B, our great offense is going to need other guys to reliably score. Jared Rodriguez is another example. Rodriguez can hit, catch, and shoot shots. Um, he can also score all right in the post. He's not, he's not great there. He does not look that comfortable there yet. He's good at putting the ball on the floor, uh, especially if he has a size mismatch, but he is better when he catches the ball off of secondary action, which is to say when a guard or another wing drives and then dishes to him and then he drives off the catch. That is when he is, is stronger off the dribble. With Allen at point guard, we really don't get that many situations. And there's a real simple fix to that for me, which is I would love Trayvon Allen to just be a shooting guard where he can focus, uh, his game can be completely oriented on the things he's best at. You know, he's a very strong transition player. He's a very creative player with the ball. He's shooting at an elite mid-range level. We'll see if he keeps it up, but I hope he does. He hasn't slowed down yet, so there is a chance he will. But he has a lot of things he does well. I just wish we could put him at the shooting guard. I feel if we're going to have a good offense, good in relation to the entire league, that's the place he's got to be. That's the evolution this team has to take. What kind of steps do we have to take to become a good team? Uh, We have to have, with this collection of guys, we have to have a great offense. Because I don't see high-end defense based off the persistent ineptitude that we've seen on the defensive end. A lot of that will get better with age. But some of that has to do with athleticism. The Montana, the three guards Montana has, Moorhead, Ogine, and Rory, they can all face up and guard almost anyone in the league, uh, except for a high-end guy like Trayvon Allen having a great game scoring 24. They do quite well. Jordan Davis had his worst game of the year against Montana with Bobby Moorhead guarding him. Bobby Moorhead's tall, and he can move his feet pretty well, especially if he's tall for a guard, and he can move his feet quite well. That's how he forces guys into tough into tough shots. Montana has two other high-end defensive guards. Idaho doesn't have that. That just means our route to success is not the Montana route of having a great defense and an efficient offense. We need an explosive offense and a serviceable defense unless we're going to see a huge batch of recruits that's going to radically change the program. But relative to the underclassmen, we have. For that to happen, we'd have to have a ton of player turnover that I just don't see happening for us. Uh, But again, you know, to put a button on this before we... Talk about the upcoming game. Um, if you are looking for reasons to say that Idaho has a possibly bright future, you know, they're there, but we're going to have to see different output from the players. Um, and I expect Verlin, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't interview the coaches. I don't try to speculate what's in the coach's head. Um, I would just be floored if Verlin looks at the tape of that game, sees Trayvon scoring the way he did and doesn't come away with some sort of attack against the next games, against the next teams in the next game, where he is trying, he is having the offensive, offense or, oriented around not just getting open shots for guys, but aggressively trying to get specific guys open shots. Because we can, we've seen six games, this Allen can create his own shot. He does not need help. Um, he gets the kind of shots he wants. Now it's just a matter of making it. And through the year, he's been making it. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Montana, Montana, in spite of it being close with nine minutes left, you know Montana really did kind of stomp on us. Um, it was a tough game to watch, but you know that's where we are. Um, and if we want to be a team like Montana, you know I don't know how else to say it. We we just have to get better. And the the, the most likely place for us to improve significantly, um, improve at a level where we could be towards the top of the league is on the offensive end. Idaho has two games on the road this week. Both those games it's important for fans who are maybe jaded at this point, which would be fair to be a little bit frustrated team. You know, we have one conference win. I think these are huge games for us coming up uh, because Idaho has not played any of the lower teams in conference yet. Now, I don't want to come across as having this, this approach that, you know, Idaho, Idaho fans need to be ups, excited about beating crappy teams. Um, that's not the premise. But it is worth keeping in mind, you know, Idaho's, one in five in conference. We have not played any of the lower conference teams yet, and our really the one co- bad the one not great conference team we played so far uh, was Eastern Washington. Okay, we also played Idaho State. Um, Idaho State's not looking anywhere near like what they may have looked like heading into the season, coming off the non-conference schedule, or Idaho State is certainly underperforming relative to what they were likely expecting of themselves relative to how many players they brought back and how that's a junior heavy roster. Uh, but Idaho opened up with Idaho state. Uh, we had some players hurt. We had some players sick. Um, also, also we played Idaho state right off of just face planting at the end of non-conference, um, which isn't to really spend too much time going over how the loss to Idaho state isn't annoying or isn't disappointing. As it was, uh, but Idaho, for the most part, has played the better teams in conference, you know, as a comparison point. Montana State is 4-3 and three in conference right now. Three of their four wins are against the bottom three teams in the conference, Idaho, Portland State, and Sacramento State. Idaho hasn't played Sacramento State or Portland State yet, and that's who we get this week. On Thursday, January 24th, we play at Sacramento State at 7.05, tip-off 7.05, and on Saturday, january 26th we play portland state in portland tip off at seven now a couple non-basketball things to note that i think would be interesting for people just to tune into the broadcast on pluto tv even for like nine seconds if you're not a huge basketball fan idaho is going to get a new stadium a new basketball only facility in a couple years in our thursday game against sacramento state If you want to see what the absolute floor of basketball facilities looks like, check out that game. Sacramento State has a gym that seats fewer people than just about any top Idaho high school. It actually may seat fewer people than any um, mid-level Idaho high school. Uh, It has a short set of bleachers on each side of the court, and that's about it. And then when we play Portland State, now, I think it's interesting to look at that game, non-basketball reason here. Portland State has a new basketball-only facility. It's called Viking Pavilion. Portland State had owned the second-worst facility for basketball in the conference just ahead of Sacramento State before this year. Viking Pavilion seats about 3,000 people, which, you know, 3,000 is not a tonne. But I think for Vandal fans, it's worth looking at. One of, the, one of the points that has been contentious for some Vandals is that the basketball-only facility we have, it's planned to seat around 4,000 people. Now, I have no problem with that whatsoever. If Idaho eventually has this attendance problem where 10,000 people are trying to go to our games and tickets become expensive, we'll be able to afford a new stadium. We're not there yet. You know, Against Montana, we had 1,400 people come, come to watch that game that would still be less than half capacity at the new 4,000-seat facility that will be open in a couple years. But anyway, it's worth looking at the Portland State facility just to get an idea of what a nice, smaller gym can look like. Portland State's facility holds, it's called Viking Pavilion. I know I already said that, but it's Viking Pavilion. It holds 3,000 people. You can tell if you look at Portland State's gym for just five seconds. That is a nice place. You could understand a recruit walking in there. And, and if a recruit is considering a place like Idaho or Portland State, it's likely they're not being shopped for by UCLA or Duke. But you can imagine a recruit walking into the Viking Pavilion, looking around and thinking, okay, these guys are serious. They want to be good. And Idaho is going to have a gym like that in a few years. But again, non-basketball note, check out the bottom of the conference gym at Sac State on Thursday, check out one of the nicer, the newest facility in the conference and one of the nicer places too. I wouldn't call it the best. Um, I'm a huge fan of Dahlberg arena. That's where Montana plays. I'm also a fan of Weaver state's facility as well. Southern Utah surprisingly has a nice gym. It's not very big, but also Southern Utah isn't again, they're like us. They're not selling 25,000 tickets to their basketball game. They don't need a huge facility. Uh, you know, Southern Utah is a nice one. Portland State, you know, they might have the third best facility in the conference now. They have the newest looking one, no question, because it's newest. Uh, but they have a very nice place, and Vandal fans should probably look at it on the Pluto broadcast, just so you can get an idea of how good some of these smaller facilities are. Uh, but in terms of the individual matchups, Sacramento State's the first team we're going to look at. They are seven and eight on the year. They only have I believe three Division One wins. Um, most of their non-conference wins were built on NAIA level teams in conference that are one in five, and that's the record we should care about. Sacramento State is exactly like Idaho at one in five, except Sacramento State has not played nearly as tough a schedule as Idaho has. Last week, Sacramento State lost to Idaho State by two. We lost to Idaho State as well, um, so that, that's worth sharing. Sacramento State lost to Northern Arizona. Um, Sorry, Sacramento State beat Northern Arizona by two. Um, Their center essentially won that game for them, and no one else scored in double figures. Their center is not a great score. We'll get into that in a second. Um, And then they lost at Southern Utah, 71-76. to This is a completely winnable game for Idaho. And to me, if we're going to see this team turn the corner, these two games, Sacramento State and Portland State, these are must-wins. If we don't come away from these two games with at least one win, I think we need to want th- to want two so we get to three and five. I don't really know what to say um, to fans about, hey, why should you pay attention to this team? If we can't beat the bottom of the conference, that's a problem. Now, our scenario is different than Sac State and Portland State because Sac State is almost exclusively upperclassmen heavy. Their top players are uh, senior guard Marcus Graves, He's averaging 16 points a game in conference, but shooting 37.8% from the field, shooting below 20% from three, He's, he actually moved his field goal percentage up to 37.8. It had been around 31% two weeks ago, and then over the course of two games, he had a single game where he shot over 50%, and then one where he shot about 37%. Those two games, only one of which is actually good shooting, or shooting the coefficient those two games moved him up six percentage points from the field, which is my way of saying Marcus Graves, though he's averaging 16 points a game, we though we have to take a guy like that seriously, he's not the same threat that Ahmad Rory was from Montana. He's not the same threat Michael Mike was from Montana. Um, their second leading scorer is Joshua Patton. He's averaging 14 points a game, five rebounds, shoots 64% from the field, takes almost nine shots a game. Now he shoots 64% from the field because he's, he's about 6'10", 6'11", in that height. He's a traditional post. He does not shoot from very very much further away than about 4 to 5 feet. Um, he is not a huge scorer. His 14 points a game is a bit inflated. He scored 36 against Northern Arizona, essentially won the game on his own against the Lumberjacks to give Sacramento State their only win. If you subtract his 36 point per game output. his average is below um, 10 a game. Um, He's had significant foul trouble throughout the year. It'll probably be important for Idaho to get him in foul trouble. In the last two games, Sacramento State has played against NAU and Southern Utah. Those are the first two conference games where Joshua Patton has not either fouled out or had four fouls. So it'll be important for Idaho to put him back into the familiar position of fouling and not being able to play. Um, their third leading scorer, I am going to absolutely butcher his name. His first name is Isaiah. His second name has like 15 syllables. It looks something like Moriuhuliatha. Um, if I butchered that, forgive me. You're Isaiah from this point on, so I don't butcher the rest of it. Um, he's their third leading scorer. He's their shooting guard. He is sh- He's averaging eight points a game on 30% from the field in conference, shooting more than 10 shots per game shooting 26.8% from three on almost seven three-point attempts per game. Those are their three best players, are shooting those awful percentages. This has to be a winnable game for Idaho, but it's not just winnable because their top three players are producing in a way that we would not call efficient, or in Patton's case, his field goal percentage is efficient, but we wouldn't call it predictable. Sacramento State has a couple metrics that should make Idaho fans excited. They have the worst scoring offense in the league at 66.3 points a game. They have the fourth worst or eighth worst, depending on which metric, you, depending on how you used to count it. Um, They're the number eight defense, so that's the the eighth worst scoring defense in in the league. They gave up 75.5 points a game. Now, Idaho is the ninth worst defense at 77.5, so defensive-wise, I've talked about how Idaho is not very good at defense this year. Sacramento State, they're right with us except on offense, they are worse, which is great news for us. Sacramento State has the worst scoring margin in the league. They lose by an average of 9.2 points a game. Idaho has the second worst scoring margin in the league. We lose by an average of 8.7 points a game. But that is to say, Sacramento State is do- has done that against a significantly weaker schedule. They are a great team for Idaho to turn around Turn turn the season around. Or at least get another win. Get win number two. You try to build some momentum heading into the Portland State game. And the way we're going to have to do that is the way every single team has done it against Sac State. Um, Sac State gives up easy points. We need to get easy points. And I just went over the top three players for Sac State. They are producing either poorly or, at best, inconsistently. Idaho needs to not be the same oasis um, on the defensive end for Sacramento State that I feel Sacramento State could be for us. Uh, It's going to be important for us, as I talked about in the Montana game. Don't want to rehash too many things, but um, we need our supporting cast, our non-Trayvon Allen players, to get good shots. They also need to get a decent amount of good looks as well. You know, For example, Jared Rodriguez, he shot three of six against Montana. Jared Rodriguez just needs to get more than six shots a game up. Doesn't need to get 100, doesn't need to get 20, but he probably needs to get around 10. Um, Cam Tyson, he had eight shots against Montana. Cam Tyson's probably got to get between 12 and 15 shots up. Those guys do need help in getting looks sometimes, but that help could come in the form of the Sacramento State defense. Um, You know, this is the Thursday game, tips off at seven. Sacramento State, they have just looked bad through conference. you know, if you look at their roster in terms of points per game, they have, you know, we went over, they have two total players who score in double figures. They, they only have five guys on the roster who score more than three and a half per game. Um, there are other starters, uh, Bryce Fowler and O.C. Wachaku. I probably butchered his name too, so forgive me, O.C. Um, those guys both average about seven a game. They don't have a single explosive scorer they do, do not have a single good three shooter at volume. This is a great chance for Idaho to pull win number one. In um, our second game, when we play Portland State, you know, the scouting report is relatively similar. If you look at Portland State, although um, there is a huge caveat uh, in terms of individual talent, um, Portland State is one in five in conference as well. Um, they are 6-11 and 11 on the season, 1-5 and in, in conference. Um, last week, now Portland State has had a relatively tough schedule, or at least a schedule that matches Idaho. Uh, their one win was kind of a fluke win at University of Montana, where Montana just played awful. on uh, Portland State's sophomore guard, he was last year's newcomer of the year. He was a preseason All-Big Sky guard. This year's name's Holland Woods. Um, Holland Woods had maybe the game of his career. He scored 28 points on 11 field goal attempts. Holland Woods is their best player. Um, but I'm going to go through some stats for you guys, and you'll see, I guess, what I'm getting at with what's worth paying attention to. Now, you want to talk about an up-and-down player. Um, Holland Woods is exactly that. He's a point guard. He is a strong penetrator. Now, he does get to the foul line. That is part of how he gets to his 15.5 points a game in conference. He also averages... Four and a half assists per game. He's one of the better creators, both if you factor in creating shots for himself and creating shots for others. Holland Woods is one of the better guards in conference at doing that. But the huge caveat keep in mind with this guy, he shoots 32%. That is not a miss. That is not a misstatement. He shoots 32% from the field as a starting point guard on 13 and a half shots a game. He shoots 25% from three. On almost five three-point attempts per game, and though he has, you know, he has four and a half assists game towards the top of the conference, he has a negative assist to turnover ratio. He averages five turnovers a game. Um, No one else on Portland State averages double figures in conference. They do have a couple shooters who Idaho is going to have to pay attention to. Michael Mayhew. He averages 9.3 points a game. He shoots 36% from three on five threes a game. Michael Nuga, um, he shoots okay from three. He shoots 31.8. No, 31.8 is not okay. It's not very good. On um, threes a game, he averages 8.5 points a game. Deontay Strickland averages 8.3 points a game. He shoots 36.7% from three on five attempts per game. So Portland State does have some shooters that can hurt us. Now, they don't have the type of post presence that, again, Joshua Patton on Sac State, it's not like we're looking at the next coming of Dwight Howard out of that guy, uh, but he's he had a huge game against NAU, which means that another big game could theoretically happen. Portland State doesn't have uh, a post who is just r- really hurting other teams. Um, Robert McCoy is kind of their post presence. He... He averages nine point three points a game and six point seven rebounds, so he does contribute. Um, but you know, I mean, you know, circle back to their best players, Holland Woods, and again, Holland Woods can be electric. Uh, there's a reason he is preseason All Big Sky this year. He's of his point in season for him. Now, he will likely say that poorly rated Idaho defense I described earlier is something that he could succeed against. Portland State also presses. Uh, that does change the dynamic of the game. Idaho struggled against press against CSU Bakersfield with the number of ball handlers we have. I really don't think we should, and I think there's a chance a press could help us in terms of creating broken plays for guys like Trayvon Allen to get easy shots, or to give Jared Rodriguez a more open court to work within, or to create broken plays where a guy like Cam Tyson gets open threes because the defense just overcorrects, or you know, if you break a press, part of part of zone presses is. There will be more zone defenders before the half court than there are o- offensive players. If you break the press, you have essentially three on two, which is how you can get open shots. Uh, Portland State has a negative scoring margin of eight points, so they're right around where Idaho is. Portland State has the worst scoring defense in the league in terms of points per game. Now, part of that is that they, they played a faster pace than, let's say, Sacramento State or Northern Arizona, but Portland State gives up 84 points a game, and they only score 76 points a game. Relative to having one of the faster paced offenses in the league, that isn't that great. So again, Idaho, you know, for the first time this year, because we're finally playing other teams that are struggling, except the difference between these two teams is, you know, Sac State already went over that they are upperclassmen heavy. Aside from Holland Woods, um, Portland State, the guys who are playing for them are mostly juniors and seniors. Uh, So some will be returning next year but they're older players for the most part, a different context than Idaho where it's almost exclusively freshmen and sophomores, mostly freshmen who are playing a ton. This is a winnable game. The press can could be a problem for Idaho. Part of why it can also be a problem is it's just different from than how other teams in the conference conference play. But Portland State, if you're looking for a fun Idaho game, the Saturday game in Portland could be one of the more fun games to watch if you're willing to ignore the records that you, you need to ignore the record right now if you want to be a, a supportive Idaho fan and you want to have fun as an Idaho fan, because it's really not exciting to think, hey, maybe we get our second win of the year. It's important for this team to turn the corner. It's important for this team to establish some continuity. We've gone over some of the ways uh, where Idaho could do that and where we hope to see it. But in terms of seeing it on TV, seeing it on the floor, we have two great games we can potentially win. I'm going to pick, you know, if I were, not that I put money on college sports because that's illegal, no one in the world should do that, but if I were to bet on either of these games, one, it's just not safe to bet t- against teams that are that awful or that poor playing each other, but these are two of the safest bets for Idaho. These are two teams that defend poorly, and they don't score quite, don't score that well. These are teams that have shown an inability to shoot, which will match up with us and different from University of Montana where part of part of why Montana's good they have strong athletes who are skilled they have guys who play defense and play offense these teams don't have that these are teams who are are brethren at the bottom of the conference but i like the idaho scenario not cuz i'm doing an idaho podcast but because on paper i would much rather have a team that is struggling have a bunch of underclassmen who i can also point to some specific things they're doing well. You know, I went over that with Sacramento State. They have a ton of guys who can't make shots. Um, Portland State, their best player is shooting 32% from the field, averaging five turnovers a game. If you look at Idaho, our big thing right now is that in conference, we really have only three guys scoring in conference. Trayvon Allen's averaging 19.5. Cameron Tyson's averaging 14.7. Jared Rodriguez is averaging 11.3 points per game. And then Scott Blakeney is our next best scorer at 5.7. Other guys have to score, or Cameron Tyson and Jared Rodriguez are going to have to really up their production. These are teams we, we can potentially do that against. You know, this is a team where if Xavier Smith gets minutes, if he gets to the rim, he's going to have a better chance to finish. This is a team where when Xavier Smith is able to gar- to drive and kick, Cameron Tyson's going to get more open looks. This is a team who Cameron Tyson just should be able to get open looks because their defense isn't strong. This is a team where Raquanis Mitchell, who had a pretty rough non-conference schedule, he hasn't done great in conference, but he had he had a nice game against Montana State where he had four threes. This is a game where maybe he can hit some shots. This is a game where maybe Kadeem Somm sees the floor, and as an athlete, he can he can get to the rim. He can get He can get some more putbacks scoring the way than he can. The big problem for Idaho is after our big three that we went over that are averaging double figures in conference, we have just got to have guys do something else. And these two games this weekend, to me, this is essentially our Super Bowl. If we cannot do well against the bottom of the conference, we're going to have to seriously reevaluate um, the the positive things I think we're seeing out of this team. We're going to have to seriously reevaluate um, whether some of the reasons I think people should be optimistic about Idaho, um, whether maybe that's me accidentally being a little bit too much of a fanboy. I try not to be. You can tell from the tone of this podcast, that's not the goal here. Um, but if Idaho can't, can't beat these teams, I don't know where we're going to find the wins, which is why these games to me are just absolutely huge. Remember, you can catch both those games on on Pluto TV. They're both tipping off at 7.05 around 7. Sacramento State is Thursday, January 24th. Portland State is Saturday, January 26th. I want to thank you guys for all listening to this podcast. We're back on our regular schedule where we're going to be sending out a podcast right around game day every single week. And we'll go over any Vandal-related news. We'll go over how the, the games went, preview the games just like we did today. Remember, you can always send your hashtag #AskTATC to me, especially basketball related. But if you want to ask football related question, go ahead. It's always football season, college sports world. So if you want to ask about Idaho football, I've got no problem researching that. Make sure to hit us up on Twitter, hashtag #AskTATC. You can follow us on Twitter at Tubbs at the Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian Marceau M A R C E A U. How you spelled last name? You're gonna see my next big sky deep dive for the montana mint that's montana mint.com that's going to be published this thursday until next time thanks for downloading and as always go bandits